Okay, conversation about ancestral wisdom, mm-hmm. right? My favorite kind. Yeah, it really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's all about food as medicine and ancestral wisdom within that food and in ourselves because that is how we connect to that ancestry. Yeah, so we got a chance to connect with uh, an amazing woman, uh, very talented, mm-hmm. just eclectic, has her uh, feelers and her heart in so many different uh, areas and just you know sending a message to the world of, of food as medicine mm-hmm. so she's an author she's uh, a restaurant owner and a franchise distributor I guess you could say so she's doing so many things to empower people about how to get healthy through food so her name is Nicolette Richet yeah it was a really empowering conversation too to see somebody make a decision in their life to put out this message and take all the risks and sacrifice things and but knowing that this message needs to get out into the world and it's one that we all need and so you're going to enjoy every little bit of this conversation like we did Mm -hmm. yeah and i know like when when you see another sister yes it does yes my heart does start to sing (laughs) especially at the end when she told us she was punjabi i was like yes Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So enjoy and please let us know what you think. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. If you've been following us for a period of time, you know that one of our favorite topics is talk about hormone optimization, hormone health, and all things in between, right? Yes. And when we talk about hormones, we often talk about them as they are the communicators that really help our body, our brain to communicate so that it's working efficiently and it's working for us. Mm -hmm. So hormones in women tend to have more of a a natural monthly rhythm, typically premenopause. In men, we call it irritable male syndrome, where we can be on one moment and the next moment we can be off, meaning our our hormones tend to have uh, a lot more volatility and fluctuation throughout our day. And so often we're looking for things to just optimize maybe the monthly cycle or optimize our energy levels and focus and drive through the day. And so one of our favorite tools is is from the company called uh, Organifi and the product is called Harmony. So let's talk a little bit about what is Harmony? It's a great name. Yes, it is a really great name, especially because this is a product that I use in my luteal phase because it really is one that captures all the herbs and things that you need in order for your luteal phase, which is the second half of your cycle, to feel like you are in harmony. Because anytime we're feeling any sort of discomfort with our hormones, we are out of rhythm. And what this allows us to do with the chase tree, with the shatavati, it's giving us adrenal support, it's supporting our liver, it's supporting our nervous system, it's supporting our gut, it's supporting our pituitary gland, that then supports that communication. So it's a beautiful one to use in your luteal phase, especially probably at a higher dose and maybe a lesser dose um, in your follicular phase. And for those women that aren't 
cycling, you can still use it from full moon to new moon. So it's just one of those really great products that you can use in tea because everybody knows that I love tea mm -hmm. and you can add that into your nightly or daily routine. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then for men, because it's got some nutritive tonics like maca, it's got ginger and turmeric and some of these other things, obviously we can use as well. Um, however, in our household, if there's harmony in our cupboard, I get a slap on the wrist and say, you know better, that's not yours to touch. It's it, mine. It's very tasty, which is part of the reason why I'm not allowed to use it. That's right. But men can definitely still use it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are interested, um, you can use Dr. Jensen um, 20 as a code and get 20% off. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Health Ignited. Uh, Sonia and I just got back from an amazing conference mm -hmm. she was speaking at and she killed it. She, mm -hmm. When you get on stage, Sonia, you just, you're so good at helping people melt into their body and just you know, you. tap into their emotional body. Mm -hmm. Well, the really whole talk amazing. was about emotion, so that made it a lot easier. It did, it did. <laughs> but I know every time we come back from a conference, we're always you know, meeting new people and learning new things. And it's always, it's so inspiring, right? Mm -hmm. Just being around people in the community. Yeah, for sure. And one thing about this conference is with our colleagues and our um, doctor friends that we mastermind with, and we have this saying called live it to lead it. Mm -hmm. And so when we're there, we know we're getting good food. We know we're doing all our practices. So we always feel good when we're there and when we come back. And so that's why our conversation today is so important. It's about food and how that really dictates everything when it comes to our health yeah so uh and we get a chance to, to introduce someone who's actually a local mm -hmm. uh not too far away from us uh up in squamish you said pemberton uh, pemberton pemberton, mm -hmm. pemberton. so uh who we've got today her name is nicolette Riker. and am i saying your last name right uh riche riche yeah so, so like a french my husband teacher. is from quebec yes okay there okay. we go Nic nicolette riche yeah. love mm -hmm. it so we 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 know nicolette through her restaurant. Mm -hmm. So when we were when we were when we were young, when our boys were young, <laughs> we were living in part of Vancouver, and we used to frequent a place called uh, the Green Mustache. Mm -hmm. And our boys are total smoothie nuts. And every time we go to a place, they have to get grab the smoothie. And of course, they develop the Green Mustache after they finish their smoothie. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, so we we didn't get a chance to meet the person until now. And uh, and so you know, this this individual has been an author she's and she's doing something really cool she's creating a trans canada run and cycle tour to really elevate the awareness around food as medicine and mm -hmm. i love that and so the goal is to inspire and educate 22 million strong and and you're she plans on doing this by the the year 2030. so there's so much here and we're going to dive into her story what brought uh green mustache to the world and how you're you know blowing it up across north america now uh, but thank you so much for being here with us, Nicolette. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to be with two individuals who are so passionate about all the same topics I'm passionate about. It's always mm. fun to preach to the converted. Yeah, yeah exactly. It is for sure. It's usually an easier conversation, but yeah, yes, but also exactly. fun. Yeah, but also fun to meet sort of the adversity. And I'd love to sort of talk about that a little bit. You know, you mentioned when you were first wanting to create a place that you would take a family to to eat at. That was part of your inspiration. Um, but what was that like bringing in uh, this type of restaurant into the food scene, the food culture, where you just really didn't see a whole of that, whole lot of that going on and doing it right? And what does that actually mean? Yeah, it. you know, I had been coaching clients for probably about, I don't even know how long, eight years at that point. 
Um, I have another company called Richer Health. And so I work with individuals who have diagnosed chronic diseases uh, and we, and I teach them food is medicine. So eating real whole food that is unprocessed, unrefined, it's cooked, it's juiced, it's, you know, made into soups and stews. It's like grandmother's cooking essentially. And I teach them a four-part therapy and they reverse their chronic diseases. So that means getting off the meds, having surgeries canceled, you know, brain tumors shrink, uh, you know, diabetes is obsolete and gone, no need for the insulin anymore, things like that. But my clients kept asking me to make the food for them. And I was like, I'm going to med school. Like, uh, that's what I was doing while I was, you know, coaching clients and I was working in government doing environmental policy work. So I was so busy that I could barely eat healthy myself. And, um, you know, and, and I'd rather miss a meal than to eat garbage food. So um, w- with my clients all asking me, like, can you please make a place that we can eat or bring food to us? And I did start doing that. I was, you know, nine months pregnant and I started making food for my clients and dropping it off, then going to work. And I'd wake up at five in the morning and I was like, okay, that lasted like a whole few months. And I was like, not doing that. So when I came up with the concept for the green mustache, it was because my, you know, two-year-old now at the time, she, uh, or one-year-old, she had spilt a smoothie on her face and gave herself a green mustache. And my friend said, ah, the green mustache. And I immediately saw this restaurant concept, like in that moment at that table with all our friends sitting around. And that was the beginning of it. And but it was amazing. People were naysayers. They were afraid. And they were like, Nikki, why are you leaving your job in government? And why are you good? You can't do this. We took our entire life savings, a total of, you know, we sold our house, had $30,000 and we started the restaurant and people thought we were, had lost our minds. And they're like, nobody will pay for a smoothie. Nobody will pay for a green juice. Nobody will pay for a stew to be cooked for them. And nobody's going to pay for organic food on top of that, because it was adamant that our food was 100% organic always. If we couldn't get the ingredient, there was no way we it was coming into our store. And it's been like that for the last um, nine years. And so even the mayor of our city was like, I don't know, Nikki, I'm scared for you. He was a good friend of ours. Um, he's like, you can come live in my basement when all of this goes south. <laughs> oh, and, um, and, you know, a realtor, he had, you know, he sold a lot of businesses, re- commercial space to people. And he came in and he's like, you guys are going down. And he goes, you won't even last a few months. And he then since ended up reversing his health conditions, eating at our restaurant every single day and apologizing profusely mm. for potentially being a barrier in our, in our success. So it was, um, it was not hard because we had a lineup of people outside our door, like trying to tear off the the cardboard, you know, hours before we opened. And those people still eat there almost every single day. We had people write to us if internationally. And um, so I think I have a little one that was trying to peek in. Mm-hmm. We have, um, uh, you know, we had you know, people write to us and leave love notes for us and slip them underneath the door and say, whenever this gets built, I want to be the first person that works there. And I was looking at these love letters in the midst of construction being like, who are these people? And um, we hired them. They ended up working for us and stayed with us for a long time. So it was not hard, um, but it's been a lot of hard work, I will say since opening, because it's, yeah, you're running a restaurant and you're creating healthy food and you're, you know, working with farmers and trying to support them. And um, you're fighting 
you know, high tax brackets when you are an entrepreneur and you have to pay source deductions. And it's just constantly, constantly like, you're, you know, as a restaurateur, it's the hardest industry to be in and to be successful in. And the fact that we've survived nine years is, I have no idea how we did that. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you're changing a paradigm too, right? When you look at the bigger picture of what you're doing, you're planting these seeds for people so that they can really tap into food as medicine, that being like the bigger message. And when you have such a big message, of course, you know, someone's going to pave the way for you to be successful. It's hard in those moments, for sure. But you're here nine years later, because of that, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, I, I would say if we had done this, you know, 25 years ago, it might have been another story. But what we also learned, though, too, is that so many people came out of the woodwork. And these individuals, I would see families eating there three times a day, seven days a week while they were t- visiting Whistler. And I'd be like, go eat somewhere else, please. I'm sick of seeing you guys. And, you know, joking with them and and then asking them, like, why are you here? 21 day meals in a row. And they would tell us stories that, you know, that they had been eating organic their whole lives, that whole foods were of utmost importance to them, um, that their family members had chronic conditions. And so they couldn't eat out in other restaurants. And so for them, they had just prepared their own meals at home. They, like you had said earlier, you know, you saved a lot of money when you moved away from where we were located Mm -hmm. because you couldn't eat out anywhere and you didn't want to eat out anywhere. So all of these people came out of the woodwork that we didn't even know existed, um, that already had the same values, but they had just been waiting for somebody to, you know, like us to open. So that was huge and vital to our, to our success because we didn't have to convince anybody you know, of what we were doing, they already knew and they recognized it right off the bat. So that was huge too, for us. Yeah, I love that. It's, it reminds me of the movie Field of Dreams. I don't know if you've seen that one. If they build it or if you build it, they will come. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I think a privilege to be a beacon of opportunity and healing and hope for people. You know, I think you really, you know, you put yourself in a position where you could stand out And I love that you met an incredible amount of adversity from people that you obviously respected, you know, like the mayor of Vancouver telling you this isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, What was that like for you in those sort of early phases, hearing that kind of criticism? Like what what did you draw upon to to build in uh, that strength to to overcome adversity like that? (laughs) That's funny. Nobody's ever asked me that before, actually. That's a really... um... Great question. The first thing that come that came to mind when you were asking me two things actually is that one, I was so naive. Like I never even worked in a restaurant, worked in bars, slinging beer and, you know, to get myself through university, but never worked in a restaurant. So I didn't even know what that entailed. Um, and I knew the food that I wanted to serve. So that part was easy. Like coming up with the menu, I was like, okay, but actually executing it. I had no idea what was involved. So I was definitely naive. So that really, really helped. I would say, if you want to do something, just go do it and then figure it out along the way. But you have to be flexible and willing to obviously put out lots of fires, um, uh, metaphorical fires, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that really came up when you're asking me that question is, I felt like there was an invisible hand on my back pushing me forward the whole time. And I've always felt like that. Even when I was drawn to the work of, you know, using food as medicine to reverse disease, like I felt like I was put in that place. 
and that I couldn't have ignored it if even if I wanted to. And I've tried many times to walk away. Like I'm going to go back to government, put on the golden handcuffs, get paid a ton of money, um, you know, to really not have to do very much work. And I could have gone back to that um, over and over again. And I just couldn't do it. And in fact, every time I would come home exhausted, I would say to my husband, okay, I'm done. Like, let's let's make our life simple, sell the green mustache. I'm going to stop consulting clients. Um, and like 10 people would call me the next day being like, help, I've been diagnosed with this condition. The doctor wants to remove like, you know, a body part, you know, and then of course I couldn't, I was like, what, you know? Uh, you know, how do I walk away from that? So I couldn't walk away. And it was that invisible hand. Um, and, you know, whether you believe in a greater power or, you know, a, you know, a greater life force or divinity or um, that your life is predestined, I do feel that very, very much. And I haven't really, like, nobody's asked me that. So I've never had the opportunity to say that, but, but it's, it, it, I had that behind me all the time. So I was constantly being nudged opportunities would constantly present themselves. So I would say, well, how am I going to do that? And the next day, somebody was like, this is how you do it. And I was like, well, I didn't even have to work for that. So it was, you know, which I sometimes wonder if when you're in the flow of your life, um, you know, th- there is ease. Uh, and so, you know, looking at Deepak Chopra and the seven spiritual laws of success, you know, the law of least effort has continuously applied to me since I wanted to do this work. And I love that. It's been hard, mm-hmm. but easy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We often say if you're pushing through something, it's not the path. But if you're being pulled, you know, you're moving the right in the right direction. And, and that's, that's exactly, exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I was, I've been pulled in this direction. Yeah. We have those moments, too, where I put my hands up. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I, like you were saying, just want something simple. I just want to be the mom that takes my kids to the field trips and t- does all these things. And you know, still trying to balance all of that. But I was like, I just want to mop my floors. <laughs> That's all I want to do. And then, yeah, something yeah. will happen to show me that actually the path that we're on is where we're supposed to be. You know, on that note, though, I think it takes, there's something more there because I think that it takes someone to be able to perceive that. Yeah, to hear it. To, to hear it, to it because, you know, we can we can feel the push and then we can still or feel the pull or whatever. You know, I love that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes something extra to be able to actually choose to see it. Mm-hmm. And so there's something like deep within you clearly that that is looking for that perspective of, you know, purpose and growth mm-hmm. and creating opportunities for people and creating mm-hmm. healings. And I think that that's that's really important in this day and age. Like I love that people reach out to someone who's cooking and making real food for answers to their health crisis. Like hopefully if anyone has not yet figured that out that's listening to this podcast, you know, tune into that statement right there because the fact that we're going to people who are making amazing food to to heal that says everything you know yeah. we we've been over the last couple of years we've been told that you know other people are responsible for our own health and we need to you know watch out for you know the next thing or whatever this this intense amount of fear yeah and that creates you know hopefully it stirs people to actually look within or or reach out for help but to to re- realize that we're not a diagnosis, we're we're an opportunity waiting to happen. And when we put the right medicine in front of us, our body can heal. So I'd love to hear your awakening to to this sort of food mm-hmm. as medicine experience and why why you've been able to you know uh, help so many people with with that message. Yeah, and again, I mean, 
even you just saying that, you know, that you need to be attuned to those moments. And so I just want to, I just want to share, you know, three, well, there's, I'm going to share five quick stories, but super, super fast about being attuned to those moments. So when I first learned about food as medicine, I mean, my mom had taught me about it indirectly through just cooking whole foods growing up and having a garden. So, but she had never said this is healthy. It was just what we ate, you know, and she would say, come help in the garden. And actually it was more like, go in the garden and help me. Like it wasn't a question and it wasn't an invitation. It was like, you are helping me. Um, And so I had an affinity to these foods. So there was that obviously Um, you know, all of these different stages throughout my life that prepared me for the life that, you know, I'm living today. But fast forward, my friend's dad was diagnosed with cancer and he was stage four cancer, in fact, and he was given three months to live. He was 72 years old at the time. And uh, he wasn't offered any other conventional treatment. So he ended up turning to food as medicine, lived another 22 more years cancer-free. Mm-hmm. In that time, he built one of the fastest growing real estate companies. He became a pilot. He um, started a, a an old timer skydiving club where they do like formations wow. in the sky. Like this is between 72 and 94 that he did this. So Bill was an exceptional man. But I didn't really pay attention because I didn't really know anything about cancer. And at the time, really wasn't thinking in those concepts of food as medicine. I thought you have cancer that's really shitty. (laughs) Like, I'm so sorry for you. Um, And, you know, go do chemo, go do, that's what I thought. That just was the only path. And then it was, again, one of those, it was a day I was at another friend's house and her mom had cancer for the second time. And then she said, Nikki, do you know any other therapies? And I was like, actually I do. And then four days later, I was in California getting trained so that I could, you know, so it was a calling immediately that I was, went there to the internet to see like, how can I learn about this? There's a workshop being offered and there I go. So that was one story. And it's true. I was attuned because it was a calling in that moment. And I remember it wasn't even an option to answer it or not. It was like, I'm there. Fast forward one day, I was like, I should do a TED talk. And so I get into work that morning and I look at one of my team members, I'm like, can you figure out how to, you know, how I could do a TED talk? And right away, it took a total of like one email, a phone call. And then they're like, yes, we want you to do it. I wanted to write a book because I thought that'll be a good tool for my clients. And so same thing. I didn't write a book. I just took some notes, like a workshop that I taught, transcribed it. It spit out 27,000 words, which actually is the length that you need for a book. And, um, and I sent it off to a friend and I said, what do you think? And she goes, this needs to be a book. And then the publisher called two days later and said, can we publish it? You know, like it has been moments like this where I, you know, been called same thing with our show on Dragon's Den. I was like, woke up that morning. And I was like, we need to get the word out there. And then it took literally two minutes. And then they were inviting us to CBC to, you know, um, to do this where I don't know if other people have that ease potentially because they're not listening to the calling or perhaps they're choosing the things that aren't right for them. But in all cases, it was very clear what I needed to do. And, um, and it was like, I can remember each and every one of those moments. It's like somebody was in my head saying, this is the next right action. Um, And it would, and with ease, it would happen. So I love that you brought that up because I haven't really thought about how easy all of those five pieces were that, that brought me to where I am today. But, you know, when you ask me about my journey, like into food as medicine, I mean, yeah, it started 
with my mom. It started with Bill's story of reversing stage four cancer. Um, and it just constantly gets reinforced every single day um, through different means um, continuously. So I, I would say it's also part of my DNA because I was born in a tiny village in Africa, in Malawi, um, called Chirtzulu. And, you know, there's no running water. There's no electricity. People live in mud huts with thatch roofs. That's where all my mom's side of the family lives today. And so it was in my DNA to to know food as medicine because that's the only thing they had. They didn't have doctors. They had medicine, plant medicine people. They, you know, didn't have books. And, you know, they my grandmother never learned to read or write, but she had that intuition, that knowledge um, that was passed down from generation to generation. And we know that, you know, we know intergenerational trauma is passed down. So there's also intergenerational knowledge that must be passed down as well. And so I, you know, and that's proven in the science over and over and over again. So that must apply to me. So I can't pinpoint it to any one moment rather than it's a collection of moments that transcends our our actual days on the planet physically. If that makes that sense. Beautiful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. There, there's so much there. I know there's so much there. Well, I want to speak to the intergenerational knowledge because I'm we're both true believers of that. And something that I said actually when I was speaking this weekend is that children, you know, when they see us modeling something or they see us responding to life a certain way, that becomes their inner guide in the future because they're witnessing and noticing everything that we're doing. So I'm curious in your own home, how that shows up for you with your children. And if you're noticing that the knowledge is being passed down with some subtleties and how they approach food. Yeah, a really great question. It's probably the one I struggle with the most because, you know, when you do these podcasts and you share information, it's like in that moment of time. So, you know, when I wrote and wrote blogs and, you know, did podcasts when my kids were younger, you know, I was like, my kids eat 100% organic all the time. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, they love vegetables and they fight over broccoli and, you know, but now I have teenagers and they work and they have their own money and they love sushi and, you know, yeah. and they love burgers, you know, even though they'll yeah. most often choose plant-based burgers, but, you know, they're, you know, in my oldest, she's 18 and she's like, you know, she's like, you know, she's never been a drinker. Like we've never been the parents that had to go like fetch our teenage kid out of a ditch or out of a party or anything like that. But, you know, she's like all her photos now. I'm like, damn alcohol, <laughs> you know? So yeah. And my youngest one, she would like, you'd feed her, you know, when she was little, all my kids ate whole foods. You know, we made their baby food. We, um, I think the worst that they had were those like mom's crackers when I was like desperate, I'd be like here. Um, but most of the time they had an avocado smeared over their face or, you know, they had cooked broccoli, like stuck in their teeth. Um, so so we've we've journeyed through that and it hasn't always been easy. My kids cannot stand to go out to a restaurant with me. They're like, mom, please just don't say anything about the food. Like, you know, we know it's going to be salty and oily. And so now we're in that stage where mm. they're just like a little bit embarrassed sometimes. Um, and, you know, they're like, mom, we don't need to know the nutritional properties of that meal. Like where I'm like, oh, this is just like a really well-balanced meal. <laughs> it's got 150 nutrients. They're like, stop talking, mom. So we're in that place, but we're also in the place where my kids can cook you a five course Lebanese meal because we had our kids as infants laying on the counter where we'd be chopping onions in front of them. And they're like, 
eating a carrot and, you know, it was a, te- a carrot was a teething device. Um, and, you know, then when they were a little bit older, they'd sit with their little chubby legs spread and we'd give them a steak knife when they were, you know, 10 months old and never cut themselves like that, but they would chop up, you know, sticks of celery or whatever that was easy to chop up. So, you know, as much as I feel bad about the foods that my kids are eating now as teenagers, I know that they have it in them. And in fact, my oldest daughter just said to me, she's like, mom, don't worry about the youngest one. Sadie's going to be okay. Because now she said, my taste buds have changed. And she said, every single day I crave the green mustache, which is our restaurant. Mm. And I almost fell over. I was like, thank goodness. So, you know, we model it by you know, our kid, our kid, we send our kids to the grocery store to do grocery shopping. And if they ever come back with something non-organic, we're like, go return it. And so they have to walk back to the, but the tomato, they didn't have organic. Well, then we just do without organic tomatoes or tomatoes for this dish. It's not the end of the world. You know, I'm not going to put glyphosate into their, you know, sweet little bodies. Um, And, you know, we model it by, when our friends come over, you know, we invite them to our house and we say, you know, this is the food you're going to be eating and it's and it's delicious and it's amazing. We model it by um you know, celebrating farmers. We always say farmers are superheroes, they're the true superheroes. Uh we model it by you know, when they're sick, you know, it's like no, you don't it's not an option now. Like now you're going to be eating the medicine, like it's the food. Um, whereas it's sometimes easy you to cater, you know, they're sick and they don't want to eat and they're like, I just want ice cream. And we're like, we, we put our boundaries up, you know, um, and we just communicate about it a lot as well. And not from a fear-based place, I should add, but more from the stand, or I would hope it comes across as the standpoint that, you know, you are this like divine human being and you have so much potential, but if you don't have enough mitochondria and you're not creating enough energy, you know, and if your microbiome is not healthy, it's not signaling to the rest of your body. So from, you know, helping them understand the science of their body as well. Um, So from the standpoint that, you know, you're these divine beings and, to realize that potential that is there and ever present, you know, we have to fuel our body well. And so I would say, yeah, it's, I don't think there's one straight answer for that because it's a systemic mm-hmm. um, situation where you have to come at it from all angles. Mm-hmm. I love that answer because it does evolve and change. And I do feel like when you're planting seeds in their younger years, the foundation is there. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding even with our children, the personalities will also contribute to how much they're utilizing in the moment or how much trying to push back. Like my youngest is always trying to push me back. And um, he went to little chef school for a couple of weeks because he, he's been a foodie mm-hmm. since day one. Like he was telling me when I made their food too, and if it didn't have enough spice, I mean, this is like a 10 month old basically telling me there's not enough in here. There's videos of that actually. <laughs> there are, yeah. The, not enough mint or too much mint. And yeah. so he went to the school and we talk about oils. We talk, we talk about everything in our home. And he made this, the last dish that they made was a chocolate cake. And I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, he's eating it the next day and he's, he's looking at me, he's giggling to himself. Like, why are you giggling? And he's like doing this with his eyebrows, like up and down. He goes, okay, there's canola oil in here. (laughs) And he's just giggling away. (laughs) 
I'm like, is there now? I'm like, well, do you think maybe you could, you know, educate your teachers too next time that, hey, instead of canola oil, maybe you can pass me the coconut oil or the olive oil. Like there's lots of options. He goes, yeah, it's only this much. I'm like, really? Only this much? (laughs) So I hear you on that. And I just tell myself, I just have to keep planting the seeds and keep speaking to it the same way you were saying. And I know one day they're going to have their own adventure with that, but then they'll understand how that feels in their body because of the foundation. So anyone listening that maybe struggle with that with their kids, you know, because a lot of moms will tell me, well, my kids are just so picky. I can only feed them this, this and this. I'm like, well, if you just keep at it, you just keep at it, it shifts, their palate shifts, and it will change. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that you bring up. Um, I hear it all the time where, you know, and especially where I'm in a small town. So I'll go to the grocery store and everybody with their carts, they turn around and run in the opposite direction because they don't want me to see what's in their carts. <laughs> and, um, and then sometimes I catch them at the till where all the food's on the till. And I'm like, okay, I am judging a little bit, but you know, it's, um, you know, I see, I see these foods. And I'm like, but they, but they've done our workshops. They know. And then, so then they'll say something. They're like, it's not for me. It's for the kids. My kids are such picky eaters. And I think it's really important. Like we can't judge people. We can't, and I know how hard it is with kids. Like it's a constant, you got to pick your battles, but I would say to parents, if there's any one battle to pick, let it be around the food because Mm -hmm. it is their mental health. It is their spiritual health. It's their physical health and it's their emotional health. And so these kids, you know, you know this, I know this, but for listeners out there who don't understand this, you know, the microbiome has to be nurtured every single day. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be nurtured. And if these kids don't have a healthy microbiome, they don't have a healthy brain. Without the healthy brain, then they're not making good decisions. And then they're by default, you know, exhausted. And so then they by default go towards the foods that are the most convenient. And we know these convenient foods are the foods that are not just correlated, but actually cause the chronic health conditions at these ep- epidemic rates that we're seeing. So Um, We have to stop using that excuse like my kids are picky because their palate is created by the foods that are put on the tables every single day. So their desire, you know, and to be picky, like my kids, you know, I have one kid who's so picky around, you know, certain vegetables that she's like, they're not organic. I'm not eating them because like her palate is so sensitive. She can tell the difference between a bland, watery, um, non-flavorful, you know, vegetable compared to one that is organic. So for even her, she's like very discerning. And it's not about snobbery. It's about the fact that, you know, she also is discerning about her health now. And she's like, I know I feel better when I eat clean, real food. And especially because I have three girls, it's also attached to their menstrual cycle. And they know their energy is going to be either good around their menstrual cycle, or it's going to be really poor based on what they ate over the last few weeks. So now they are, they're more aware of that. So yeah, invite parents to stop using the my kid is picky excuse mm-hmm. because yeah. Yeah. And I get it. We're all exhausted parents, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think having that, to... sorry, uh, no, no, go one ahead. example okay. for them to have that personal experience. I think it's so important too. Like we were in yeah. Italy one year and my oldest can just, he can't have gluten and dairy. And so we just never fed him that. And being there, 
it was available everywhere. And he also has like a slight sensitivity to tomatoes. So he was having it every day and he had eczema all over the back Mm -hmm. of his legs because of it. So for him to have that experience of this direct correlation between food and a symptom that he's experiencing has told him now that yes, food is medicine or food can be something that could deplete me. Sorry, go ahead. I know I cut you off. Yeah, no, I kind of lost my train of thought, but that was, um, that's an important aha. And I think, you know, to that point, sometimes it does take the individual to have some sort of um, experience of sickness in order to take that responsibility. But you opened up a really important can of worms here when it comes to parenting, because I think it's also so easy to bypass this. I, my kid is the most difficult. It's the hardest one. There's no way. You know, we put up these barriers before we really give it a try because, you know, people might listen to you or Sonia or myself or, or someone in the, the health space and they might go to get to where you are. It's just too far away. Yeah. It, the, the reach is too incredible. So I'm just going to give up on myself or, or on my family or my kid. And that, that, I don't think that's what you're asking. Like, I don't hear that. I, I hear what's the next right decision I can make. That might be just steady getting the canned whatever beans. Maybe I buy them from a whole food place and I know they're organic and that could be step one. Can you talk a little bit about sort of this staging, this behavior change over a period of time so that people don't go like, I can't do it. She's doing too many things. Like where's the starting point essentially? Oh, that's such a good question. And for my audience, it's a bit different because my clients have a chronic disease that is, and I only work with people that have very rare conditions now and that also their lifespan, their prognosis is quite poor. Whereas before I'd I'd work with anybody. You want to do preventative? Sure. Why not? You know, you have diabetes. That's easy. We can reverse that in less than 30 days. Not a problem. Um, you know, now it's, um, you know, I reserve my time for clients that really it's like, okay, they have to make the changes today. So what I found is that when people have an advanced chronic illness, they're willing to make the change. It doesn't matter. Like they're just like, teach me how to do it. And I'll do it exactly. Like you say, you know, I'm not even going to question it. I'm in. And, and they're doing that because their life is on the line. Like they're losing something massive and it might not even be their life that they're even concerned about. They like love their job and they don't want to lose that. They love their family and they don't want to lose that. So for those individuals, it's, it's, a would say it's easy, you know, they're, they're ready to go jump in. But for most other people though, um, like 66% of the population are, is living with a chronic disease, but there's a, a small population that are, have a poor prognosis out of that 60, you know, 60%. So some people might need baby steps. And so I'm going to speak first to the people who need baby steps. And I was, I'm a baby step person. And that's only because I am a researcher. So I need to know the facts. So if you're telling me not to eat meat, I have to read 70,000 articles to understand how meat is not good. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't plant-based whole food um, from day one, I ate a lot of plants growing up. So I, my palate, I had that affinity to that. So that was easy. And I love vegetables. I actually hated meat as a kid growing up. Um, and so it was baby steps for me. So I went, you know, once I, I don't know, a lot of people watch a documentary, they read a book, they, you know, read an article, they hear a story of somebody healing and that opens them up. So, so play in that space and you can take a baby step. So it might just be, eating organic, or maybe you think organic's too expensive and you're not convinced that organic is the way to go. And I'm telling you it is. Um, and so, um, but it might not be, have landed there for you. So maybe you start out by cutting out the red meat 
right? There's enough evidence. There's 68,000 articles that have been published since 2018 showing that a plant-based diet is optimal for your health and that eating red meats is detrimental to your health. So the evidence is there. I'm telling you it's there. And, and anyone who needs to see it, I can show them exactly where to find it. 68,000 studies. So it might just be cutting out the red meat and then it's cutting out the chicken and then it's cutting out the, um, you know, the, the, whatever other, you know, the dairy, for example, for some people, it's going to be as simple as like switching from white cheese or yellow cheese to white cheese, you know, or if they're not able to take that leap just yet, or maybe going from the soft cheeses, cutting those out to the hard cheese. But, you know, I would say you want to keep learning as you're doing this, because a lot of people forget what they learned. So as you're doing this, keep every time you have an opportunity to get an audio book or to watch something on TV, choose a film. There are so many films and choose the subject area. So it might be around protein. So you can read proteinaholic. It might be around sugar. So watch, you know, um, whose book is it? Oil, salt, and sugar you know, get the audio book, understand how you like to learn as well and try and understand your personality type. So I love type A personalities because they're just like, tell me and I'll do it. And they do it well and they don't deviate. There's no falling off the wagon. They're in it. They love to see results. So if you're that type of person, why don't you just try it? You know, if you feel certain that it's not going to kill you, and I'll tell you this, a plant-based diet will not kill you. It will give you life. So just go for it and choose a time, uh, you know, and choose something that's longer than a week or 10 days. I would say stick to it for a month. So choose that 30 days and then see how you feel before and after. Other people, you know, who need to do more research, you're going to put learning above all else and then you're going to start doing. So it's important to understand yourself and the way you like to learn as well. So understand your learning style. If you're auditory, if you're kinesthetic, you need to actually take a cooking class with somebody versus watching a video or doing an online course or reading a book. Um, understand so how you move in the world. If you're somebody who likes to listen, that's amazing because there's so many audiobooks and podcasts out there. Find one podcast that you love. It doesn't need to be 50 and just start with that and see what you can learn. If you are somebody who hears yourself, like your personality style is to deny first, and that's, you know, that's a common behavior for a lot of people in certain personalities. It's like, nope, no, I don't believe it. Recognize that in yourself and actually be willing to change change that narrative to say, you know what, today I'm just going to learn one thing new. I don't have to believe it. I don't have to adopt it. I don't have to do it, but I'm just going to learn one thing new or try one thing new. I have a lot of clients who are like, I'm not going to like it. Okay. And if that's your narrative, then switch that around to, I'm going to try it. I might not like it, but I'm going to try it. So there's all of the, it's not just as simple as like, go out and do it. Like we can't blanket our approach with, with how we work with people. Um, and doctors do this all the time, right? They have somebody who's overweight, comes in, they have health conditions and they're like, go lose weight. It's mm -hmm. not that simple. If doctors only could understand learning styles and personality styles, you know, and you can see it within a few seconds of talking to somebody just from the language that they use, they would be able to offer different um, solutions. So again, I didn't go from 
understanding it and having all the information to doing it overnight. It was a progression for me. I mean, I still eat salt and vinegar chips. I really like them a lot. Sometimes I make my own, but when I can't, I do that. But at the same time, 95% of my diet is, you know, plant-based whole food, hundred percent organic, super clean, nutrient dense, all of those things. Um, yeah. And be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's another part. If you're somebody who beats yourself up a lot, then that's the work that you need to do with yourself. Um, if you're somebody who doesn't have self-worth um, and you know that about yourself, so you're constantly putting yourself down or you don't feel you're deserving of spending the money on clean, real food. You don't have the ability to stand up to your partner and say, no, I'm not going to cook you steak tonight. We're going to eat a plant-based meal. And some people don't have that ability and strength and that voice. So understand that about yourself as well. So your healing is going to take place through looking at yourself as a complete whole body. So you're going to be doing the spiritual work, the mental work, the emotional work, and then the food physical work. Um, and for some people, they have to do the spiritual, mental, emotional work first to be able to get to that place where they do value their health above all else. And so they'll put themselves first. And for any mothers who are out there listening to this, um, you know this, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can you know, get your family to, to make these changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said so many important things, or especially that last piece around the relationship, right? So that relationship with food really is key in understanding so that we know where our own blocks are, or our beliefs from before or our comforts that we're choosing in those moments. So when we know that story about ourselves, we have an opportunity then to choose different in those moments, or just the awareness of it can help shift that opportunity. And how empowering is that for people? Because often we feel like we're not in control when it comes to food. Mm -hmm. And so if we can learn that about ourselves, we are now in the driver's seat and can really have that compassion for ourselves, knowing that there's some unraveling that needs to happen because of these patterns. So I think that was like a key point that I hope all the listeners really tuned into that food is medicine. And it's so much more too, because it shows us our relationship with life, because it's a direct reflection of how we're digesting life and how we're digesting food. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to eat this way, but to be secreting your adrenal hormones and you have just adrenaline like running through your body and cortisol running through your body. And, you know, this, you know, because you're afraid or because you're stressed, am I doing it right? Or I don't know, or, you know, this directly impacts your digestive lining and your ability to absorb nutrients and eliminate waste. So we, you need to understand also why you want to do it as well. And that's an important part because if you can under, you know, they talk about this all the time. Um, that you have to know your why in everything you're doing, your business, your relationships, your family, you know, everything. Um, but you do need to know the, why do you, why do you want to even consider making a lifestyle change around your food and your diet? And, you know, when you get to that, I would say that's the best place to start because, um, that why will keep you on track and make, make making the changes a lot easier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. Totally agree. So we want to be mindful of your time. And um, I have one last question that we often ask our guests, and it's more of the, the bigger picture. And it's really to that why and that intention and knowing that, you know, everything in our life is temporary, including this physical form. So if you knew that you were to leave this physical form tomorrow, what is the imprint that you would like to leave in the world today? Yeah, I love uh, also that you asked that because I... 
have always since I was a little girl, but I didn't have the words to put to it, but lived my life through that lens of memento mori so that all of this is impermanent and it can be gone and taken away from us at any time. So I play the game if I was on my deathbed (laughs) and I love, like, I love picturing myself Mm -hmm. on my deathbed and wondering like, okay, am I going to be happy about the life that I lived? Will I have any regrets? Will I, you know, will I wish I had done things differently? Um, So it's a game I often play. But now that you're asking me that right now, I'm like, oh, what is that imprint? It's a really good, what is that imprint? I would say beyond all things, um, it is that I want to be remembered for being kind. Um, Yeah, being kind, I think, first and foremost, and that's a part that I battle with all the time because in working with individuals who have chronic disease, I have gone through waves of, you know, where I just didn't know I, I judged, you know, I was like many doctors who judge chronic disease as being the result of obesity or the result of just not caring about yourself or like not, you know, being willing to do the cooking or feed your children. Well, so I've done that. I've been that person who judged, um, and then as I learned that actually it's it's much bigger than that, you know, that uh, my research right now for my PhD is, you know, what is beyond, what are the actual root causes of these epidemic rates of chronic disease that are four to eight times higher within um, BIPOC communities? So Indigenous peoples and people of color, they suffer from these, these diseases at disproportionate rates. And, and it's not because they're obese, it's not because they drink, and it's not because they eat poorly. And yes, those are contributing factors, but it's actually the trauma as a result of colonization. So when I think about the imprint and, and many other things, lack of access to clean drinking water, it's, you know, PTSD, it is, you know, disconnection from culture, it's disenfranchisement from the land and from all the cultural practices. So, it, you know, it's everything is, it's, it's systemic. So the imprint that I would love to leave on the world beyond just being kind um, and being remembered as being kind, I would say is that I was relentless and that I didn't give up um, because, you know, like you and I talked about earlier, it's exhausting work. And I look to like the Rachel Carsons of the world who wrote Silent Spring or the Dr. Max Gersons or the, you know, the Gandhis and the Einsteins of the world that were constantly up against adversity and people didn't believe in what they were researching and finding and discovering, and they could have given up. And we can't give up our pursuit in sharing this knowledge that food is medicine. And so as exhausted as I am sometimes, and as hard as it is, and, you know, we've gotten death threats from FDA people and, you know, all those sorts of things. And I have wanted to quit for so many different reasons from not having any money and literally going bankrupt doing this work um, to, you know, to to everything. So um, it's to, once you discover this knowledge, you have to share it with others and yeah, be kind, be relentless uh, and be open because we only know what we know today and the science is always evolving and we're learning so much more. And 10 years ago, nobody was talking about the microbiome really. And now we discovered that we are more other 
you know, bacteria, parasites, fungi, then we are actually our own human DNA um, in our own human cells. And, you know, and that has lent itself to so much more um, understanding of how the body and the mind works and is connected and connected to our greater, greater outside world, our environment, which is us and we are that. So I would say, yeah, be kind, be relentless and be open. Oh, I love it. Thank you. So good. Mm-hmm. Nicole, and a whole bunch Nicolette. of other things. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you're your Nikki. Yeah, right? they do. Yeah. 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 So you can so call Nikki, me Nikki. Thank yes. you. Um, what's that? Oh, just Nikki was muted. Oh, okay. Um, what, I, what I just wanted to say is how can we help support you? Where where can we where drive people? I know you're launching some new uh, green mustaches in uh, in New York in the, in the coming months. How, how can we support you? How, what, what do you need from people to, uh, what do you need them to, to, to connect to, you know, websites, whatever. Oh yeah. Thank you for asking that. I think your microphone is what? Off. No, maybe your microphone's off. Oh, no, it's me. Oh, it is you. Okay. Unplugged. I was like, let's plug that back in. Like I want to hear what she says. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I didn't know what was um, going on when you were doing that. That's hilarious. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Where can yeah, people no, connect with you? Yeah. So thanks for asking that question. It I would say we have so we have a charity called Sea to Sky Thrivers Society. And this charity, we work with indigenous communities, we work with uh, corporations. So we teach their entire company how to eat real to heal. Uh, we work with schools, uh, we work with nonprofit groups, other nonprofits. So I would say a great place to start is to go to Sea to Sky Thrivers Society and uh, to donate. That would be amazing because I'm doing this cross Canada run and bike tour, uh, leaving July 1st next year. So if you go to that website, um, all that information, um, will be there. Um, in fact, we're just about to, to launch the new 22 million strong site, which will be embedded in that. So please go there. You can donate your time. You can donate your money. You can donate your, um, support, even just an email to encourage me. I'm a 47 year old woman who just started running and biking uh, two years ago. Um, and so all the support would be wonderful. And then uh, head over into a green mustache. So we're at greenmustache.com and mustache is spelled the French way. So M-O-U-S-T-A-C-H-E and come visit us and uh, tell us, you know, in, eat the food, tell us how you like the food. Um, let other people know that we exist. We have 10 locations that'll be coming to New York. And so if you know people in the New York area, get them excited about the fact that we'll be coming there. And then of course, if you are somebody who has a chronic degenerative disease and you want to reverse it, then reach out to me at Nicolette Richer, R-I-C-H-E-R.com. And I can, um, connect you with our medical team to be able to learn all about food as medicine in the reversal of chronic disease. So that's another good place to start. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And your book, if where, oh, yeah. where do they can get the book? Oh yeah. So no matter where you are in the world, um, you can order the book from Amazon dot whatever your country's name is, um, acronym is, and then that would be a good place to start. Uh, it's only in English, I believe right now, but it's going to be translated into other languages. You can also get the audio book as well, and you can come to one of our retreats. So we host retreats all over the world. So richerhealthretreatcenter.com is another place that you can go and we could just show you how to do it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you're making your ancestors very proud. Yes. 
Uh, oh, and you, well, that's another good place to start. I forgot about that. We have a documentary that <laughs> oh, came good. out. So groundedinmyroots.com. Go to that website, please. Get on the list to do a screening in your community. We just won an award for the best health and nutrition film. Uh, we were shown at the Maui Film Festival. And so please host a screening in your community. And the reason you triggered that thought in me, it's because it's about learning about the food of your ancestors, no matter if you're Irish, Scottish, South Asian, Chinese, um, Indigenous, white from any part of the world. Um, we all have ancestors that knew how to eat real to heal. So let's start that conversation in your community. Oh, I love that. I'm excited to watch yeah, it. Mm -hmm. absolutely. I'll yeah. send you the link. It's not please out do. yet, okay. um, but um, yeah, definitely please watch it with your, with your children and let me know what you think. Yeah, we'll do for sure. For sure. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, so many blessings today. Time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate this opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.